listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Hello, Canada. I will not say, like I always say, happy Wednesday. I usually end the show, I end this show, I end power play and CTV question period with hug your loved ones. I started saying that during COVID because we couldn't be with each other, because people were losing people. Because we were in a pandemic. And last night, on a special edition of Power Play, when the news had broken that a gunman had walked in and broken into a school in Uvalde, Texas. town of 16,000 west of San Antonio, southwest part of Texas. And an 18-year-old, according to the governor, and I'll get to him in a minute, and I'll get to him in a minute, had broken into a school, the Robb Elementary School, about 600 kids who were in their second last day of class or third last day. Shot and killed, murdered. There's no word now. Now there's no words when you have 19 dead children in grade four. He wiped a class out. He wiped a class of grade four kids. And now we're supposed to cover it like I did last night. As if there's some way to keep your composure. As if the part of me that's a father with two kids who were in a split class. So I had kids in grade three and four in the same class when they were in a split. I'm just going to pretend that I can, as a journalist, put on that voice. As I did, as we all do, and talk about 19 dead children. Who's the gunman? What happened? What do we know now? And we breathlessly chase the news. None of this matters because the children are gone. The two teachers are gone. And the words fall as hollow as the shell casings, empty and spent. Just like when, in 2012, we heard about the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting in Newtown, Connecticut, December 14th, two weeks before Christmas. They left 28 people dead, children, 20 children, six adults. That killer also, 20 years old, these these young kids. And then you remember, oh, I, I, I remember 
the Columbine massacre. Remember that? The two kids. We're going to talk to a survivor of the 1999 Columbine High School massacre. The shooting and the attempted bombing. The two killers there. I'm not saying their names. You know them. And then you remember that Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, 2018, a 19-year-old, kills 15 Ten days ago, we talked about, or 11 days ago, we talked about Buffalo. And now we're supposed to just talk about it again. Now we're just supposed to talk about 19 kids in grade four, in grade four. Now we're going to listen to Joe Biden as he talked about it. He asked this question as he stood with his wife in the Roosevelt Room of the White House. And his question dropped like an empty gun shell. Here's what he said. As a nation, we have to ask, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? When in God's name we do what we all know in our gut needs to be done? Good question. You've been asking it since Columbine and Sandy Hook and Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. There's mass shooting events, mass casualty events happen all the time. I told you I'd get to the Texas governor. The Texas governor, Abbott, said this today, yesterday. Listen to this. Listen to this. And I got to tell you why this just drives me bonkers. When parents drop their kids off at school, they have every expectation to, to know that they're going to be able to pick their child up when that school day ends. And there are families who are in mourning right now. And the state of Texas is in mourning with them. Oh, you're in mourning, Gov. You're in mourning. Okay. Sure he is. Who isn't? And then he said he's going to do every single thing he can to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Our job is multifold. First, uh, to make sure we uh, address exactly what happened at this crime scene. Uh, and then second, to make sure we take that information and do everything that is necessary to ensure that crime scenes like this are not going to be repeated in, in the future. And that we're going to be able to ensure the safety and security of our schools. How are you going to do that, Gov? How are you going to do that, Gov? Tell that to the families, Gov. After last year, you signed a law that allowed Texans to carry handguns without a license. You allowed Texans to carry handguns without training starting on September 1st after you signed a law last June 2021 that allowed anyone with the age of 21 to not need a permit, to not need a license, to not need training to go buy a gun. A permitless, no permit to carry, open, conceal, or concealed a weapon. That's right. It's called House Bill 1927, and it eliminates the requirement for Texas residents to obtain a license to carry handguns.
Thanks, Gov, for your... You're going to make sure this doesn't happen again. What are you going to do, like one of your government officials said? Arm teachers? You're going to send kids into a class where the teacher's got a gun, too? In 2021, this same governor that is throwing down these empty words like hollow gun shells that are falling at the bodies of these grade four kids is defending the constitutional carry. Listen. You can understand why we are pushing back against this narrative across America where people are saying from the federal level to the local level, that Second Amendment rights are under assault, that government officials are saying, heck yes, government is coming to take your guns. Texas will not let that happen. Governor, the Second Amendment is not under assault. Children are under assault. Is that clear? It's not the Second Amendment that is under assault in your country. It is children who are under assault, and you have picked a side. You have picked a side with your regressive understanding of the Second Amendment, pretending you are defending it that's under assault, and the side is not the side of the 19 young children, babies, who are lost with a guy with an AR-15 took that gun and wiped out a class. It is not the Second Amendment that is under assault. It is children. And we are going to talk to some survivors of Columbine. This is what is happening. Why are we blind to this? We'll take a break. Authentic voices, real conversations. This is the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. In the aftermath of what happened in Uvalde, survivors of other mass shootings, Sandy Hook, Stoneman, Stanley Hook, 2012, 20 kids, six adults. Stoneman Douglas, February 14th, 2008, 17 people. These are people. But of course, 1999, Columbine. Columbine is one we all remember. I remember covering it as well. And imagine surviving these. Anne Hampton was a Columbine school shooting survivor. She was a junior when this shooting happened. She graduated in 2000. She's a mom. She lives in Colorado, less than five miles from Columbine, but her kids don't go there. She tweeted out, another Columbine survivor. I have three kids, fifth, seventh, and tenth grade. The ripple of trauma affects me every single day. I know exactly how it feels to lose friends to gun violence. I send my kids to school every day knowing they may not come home. Ann Hampton joins me now. Ann, uh, I'm a father, and I read your tweet, and I've... And I just, I can't imagine what your initial reaction was. What was it when you heard about what happened in Uvalde? Um, Hi, first, thanks for having me on. Um, Just complete horror and devastation, uh, knowing what the families are now going to have to live through. Um, 
the community, the other students, the trauma that will affect them for their entire lives. Um, it's just an absolute nightmare. And these kids are grade four, great. I mean, close, close yeah. to your kids' age. Yeah. Does it traumatize? I mean, I, I don't know. In, in during the 1999, in, in your experience then as a survivor, but does this reopen those wounds? For sure. Uh, pretty much any time we hear of a shooting, um, particularly school shootings, it re-traumatizes the entire community. It brings you right back to where we were and um, and puts you back in that place of panic, of horror. Um, and I like to think of my trauma as like ripples in a pond, right? Like it just affects everything in your life. You, how, how did you, how, I mean, during the Columbine shooting where you were there, yeah. how, how long uh, did you have to go to counseling to deal with what you saw, what you dealt with, what you lost? Right. Um, so we were told that we would have free counseling for life uh, as survivors. It turns out that the funds for that dried up a couple of years after the shooting. And most of us as teenagers didn't know what we needed at that point. And so very few of us actually sought counseling at that time. It wasn't until years later that I finally you know, reached out and started therapy and trying to work through the trauma of this. You were in school. Did you now, did you, are you reliving out like the gunshots? Like you remember that? Yeah. Oh uh, so I, I consider myself lucky. I was in math class. So I was pretty much as far away from the shooting in the school as you could get. Um, so I didn't see anything, right. but we heard shots and we heard screaming and we didn't know what was happening. Um, it wasn't until Mr. Sanders pulled the fire alarm that we understood something was going on. Yeah, most of the kids killed. Sadly, most of the kids, those 10 kids were killed in the library. Yeah. So, you know, knowing our teachers were not expecting a fire drill that's when panic set in for us. Um, and we were able to evacuate relatively quickly. Um, and the trauma for me was in not knowing what's happened. Like I watched a lot of what was unfolding on the TV, like mm -hmm. the rest of America. When you tweeted out, I was speaking to Ann Hampton, a Columbine uh, sh school shooting survivor. I send my kids to school every day knowing they may not come home. Yeah. Tell me about why you wrote that. Yeah. So having children in school changes the trauma uh, in ways that I never expected. Right. Like if I'm just worried about my own safety, that's one thing. But sending kids to school where I have no control, uh, no ability to do anything for them. Um, it's it's a challenge every day. Every day I drop off my kids. I give them a hug. I tell them I love you so much. And I know that it could be the last time I see them. It can happen anywhere. And it, if you live in America, it will eventually affect you. Governor Abbott is the Texas governor. After yeah. the, 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 the massacre 
I want to play you a clip of what he said, and then I'm going to compare yeah. it to what he said because I, I'm interested in you in how you react to these political comments. First, he says this, that we're going to address what actually happened and make sure that they, it never happens again. Listen to this. Our job is multifold. First, uh, to make sure we uh, address exactly what happened to this crime scene. Uh, and then second, to make sure we take that information and do everything that is necessary to ensure that crime scenes like this are not going to be repeated in, in the future and that we're going to be able to ensure the safety and security of our schools. Of course, he signed seven gun bills into law, uh, in, including what's called the constitutional carry law, uh, yeah. which means that in Texas, you can buy a gun without a license. You can buy right. a gun without a permit. You can carry it. You can obtain it. Um, um, they're not prohibited. Like it is eliminates all of that. And, and here's what he said. And he, you know, this is a governor that believes the true victim of this is the Second Amendment, that it's of not course. children who are under assault. It is the Second Amendment's under assault. Listen to what he said. You can understand why we are pushing back against this narrative across America, where people are saying from the federal level to the local level, that Second Amendment rights are under assault, that government officials are saying, heck yes, government is coming to take your guns. Right. Texas will not let so, that so, 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 and it's For him, the narrative, the Second Amendment is under assault. It's not children. It's yeah. not you who is yeah. under assault. What's your response right. to that as a survivor? It's infuriating. You know, after Columbine, we were promised never again. We were told that the adults would fix this. We were warned against getting political, right? Don't get political. This isn't about guns, but it's past time. It's been past time to get political. And this is just another example of politicians choosing guns over the safety of our kids and our families. And Republicans have been fighting any kind of gun legislation since Columbine. And the fact is that an overwhelmingly large majority of Americans support common sense gun laws and they still block it at every turn and want they want more guns and less restrictions. They want more guns, less restrictions. Some of them want teachers to have guns. Will this change yeah. anything, Ann Hampton? You're a Columbine school survivor of nineteen ninety nine. You've been promised change. For more than 23 years, will this change? Will Uvalde change anything? No, I, I used to have a lot of hope that things could change, and after Sandy Hook, it just it feels very hopeless. I do still, I still carry that hope, and you know, as survivors, we're told to honor with action, and one of the things that we can do as survivors is just tell our stories. Because they impact people and opinions. Honor with action. Ann Hampton, you've done that again. Um, Columbine School shooting survivor, but a parent of three. Please take care. Hug your loved ones and your kids. And, and, and I really appreciate the time, Ann. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. We're, we're going to come back with a guy named Dave Cullen. He's the author of a book called Columbine Parkland, The Birth of a Movement. And he's been covering this movement, the gun violence movement, maybe better than anybody in the United States. Stay with us.
If they said it, we'll call them on it. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. You know, there's lots going on. There's a conservative debate tonight for the leadership. Uh, We will talk to one of the biggest Juno-winning artists, uh, Charlotte Cardin, on the program. The war room is standing by. Uh, There's the cleanup of the storm, tens of millions of dollars. But then yesterday we learned about 19 children. 19 children in Valde, Texas, gunned down. And we've all, as a journalist, you end up covering these. We just talked to Ann Hampton, the Columbine school shooting survivor. We've spoken to survivors of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas killings. It goes on and on. It never changes. There's words, as I say, they fall like empty, empty shells. Sandy Hook, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, Columbine. Now, someone who's been tracking this horrific pattern, that's what it is. I don't know what else to call it, is Dave Cullen. He's the author of Columbine and Parkland, Birth of a Movement. And Dave has been covering mass murders for decades. And he joins us now. Thank you for being here. Hi, uh, thank you. Thanks for having me, Evan. I don't know. You you live in the heart of darkness, Dave, and and we all do as as we we deal with these things. Um, the, the the sad reality is, Dave. Um, nobody should be surprised. What was your initial reaction? Sadly, when you saw this latest, this is a slaughter. I don't know. There's a word that captures the the murder of 19 kids. Yeah, last night uh, that was the hardest one. For me, since Sandy Hook, I just um, I got really depressed, and um, and normally when I hear about these things, you know, there's normally a, a shock, and then I just like you, know, like as a journalist, you just got to get to work, right? You got to sort of like you know clench your stomach and just go to work, and I just couldn't. Um, you know, I was deluged with um, media calls wanting me to get on television right away, and first thing I'm supposed to do is you know, turn on the TV and just get up to date so right. I can talk about it intelligently. And um, and I just couldn't do it. And I, I just wouldn't at first. I was like, like I'm not turning that on. And, and you know what? Actually, then after a few minutes, as I kept thinking like, oh, God, maybe I need to do that. Um, it also occurred to me like, why bother? I know what they're going to say. Like, I could just like turn on without the sound and mouth the words for that. Right. right? Like we've all said these things already like like no one's going to say anything that i haven't heard because like no one has me we're, we're out of things to say about this uh we ran out a long time ago um and it's so frustrating and so then i just spent the first the next couple hours just depressed and right around 10 o'clock i don't know um i just flipped the switch uh from the distraught phase to the anger phase and i just got angry and then started having ideas i'm like um you know, okay, I'm ready to fight again. I actually saw um, Senator Chris Murphy. Let me see if I can pull it up. Oh, I, I don't know where it is. Uh, uh, From Connecticut. Yeah. Um, his uh, tweet last night. I, do you have it there? Um, don't, uh, you know, it's, it's something like um, he said, um, you know, I'm just shaking. I can't right. uh, believe this. And crying. And then he said, and, you know, ended with him saying, like, and with resolve. Um and I remember thinking, like, wow, 
you just like read my mind and every bit of that except for um the last word oh here or i've got it right here uh because uh, I've got Gabby Giffords. Uh, he, he, by the way, just so people know, in, in Canada, Chris Murphy oh, sorry. is a big gun control advocate, and he had witnessed um, his constituents, obviously, were Sandy Hook. And yeah. he's so, so for him, it's very personal. So go ahead. It, it totally is. Yeah, he's a senator from Connecticut. And I read, you know, in his book, a really good, like, like, you know, he um, got the news, he was going somewhere, and, um, you know, the, the, Staff told him, like, like, you just got to stop. This is going to be horrible. Anyway, is you know, he ended, now I can't find it. Like, there's so many tweets here. But, you know, and it was resolved. And I remember thinking, like, resolve? Do you really feel that? Because, like, at the moment, like, my resolve was MIA. Like, it's just gone. Uh, and it was last night. And then it just came back around 10 o'clock. I'm like, but okay, what is that? What do you do? Like, like, I here's the thing. And, and, and I, I, folks, I, you're speaking with a guy, Dave Collin, who's, you know he's he, this is he's the best selling writer. He wrote a book on Columbine. Wrote a book on Parkland. Like this is your life's work. I've just played clips from the governor of Texas. Who the first clip he says we're going to do everything we can to keep clip uh, schools safe. And then of course I played a clip from last year where you know where he passed the constitutional carry and you don't you can carry a handgun without a license or training. Starting September first, twenty twenty one. Here's a guy that's loosening gun laws and saying we're going to stop this. How do you hold these two contradictory things in your head? It's complete BS to me. It, it, it totally is. And you know, you know, the, the person I look to the most for wisdom on this, Gabby Giffords, and I'm going to have another piece with her um, uh, this week. Um, and you know, she actually named her organization Giffords Courage. Um, which is really a dig at the politicians because her point is um, that courage is is what it's going to take. Actually, the full name of the group I was forgetting something like Gifford, the courage to do something on gun safety. Um, but the only people lacking that courage are our political class, and um, it, it, they've just been cowering before the NRA for the last you know thirty forty years. But but here's the thing. I did. Can I just? I know you're dropping these names for Canadians. Gabby Giffords, Democrat. Okay. In in 2011, she was shot in the head um, in Arizona. Someone tried to assassinate her, and she's also a very open gun advocate. After getting literally shot in the head, uh, go ahead. Correct. Correct. She's one of the two leading advocates in America now. Yes, was shot in the head, left for dead, um, and made it just an amazing recovery. Um, and yeah, and she's just. She's actually just an inspiration, but she's really kind of brilliant on this. And partly because she comes from gun country. She, she, you know, she grew up on a ranch as a real cowgirl with a gun in hand. This stuff is second nature to her. So she understands the people on the other side. And her whole thing is about meeting in the middle and finding sensible gun safety. And part of the problem here is that we have um, this is such a divisive issue in America, partly because it was framed divisively. And the dumbest mistake our gun control people ever made was that horrible name, gun control, right? And then who the hell wants to be controlled? Right. And why would they not think that by choosing that name, that they're telling all the other side, which was half the people in America, bad, that we're coming to control you. We're coming, you know, like we're, those are fighting words. And so it's been a fight ever since. So Gabby, Shannon Watts, the Moms Demand Action, the other major sort of uh, gun safety 
organization in America. Now they have rebranding it as gun safety. And it's right. not just a name. It's a whole different way of looking at it. And gun safety is actually something gun owners can get behind. I'll tell you one more quick thing. I know we're going to go to this. Um, you know, I say if only there were a gun safety organization uh, in America by gun owners, you know, devoted to gun safety. Well, there was actually an organization started in New York State in the wake of the Civil War founded just for gun safety. Its name was the National Rifleman Association. Yeah, I know. The NRA. That's the first 150 years of what they were dedicated to. There have been two landmark uh, gun gun safety uh, bills passed in American history, one in the 1930s uh, when the Tommy gun and the gangsters, you know, Al Capone and all that, in American response to that, and one in the 60s after all our assassination. Key player passing both of those, the NRA. So it's not like I'm having some wild dream of some unthinkable, you know, like the NRA has always been dedicated to gun safety. Then our side started clashing with them at some point, and it's been a fight ever since. Their side still loves the idea of safety. You can meet back there in safety. We have half a century, though, huh. of, of, of fear of them, of yeah. like, like threatening them and them not trusting us. So it's not going to be easy. They also, gun owners want H- H- Dave. Dave, I'm on a sit. I, hang on. I'm, I'm speaking to Dave Cullen, author of Columbine and Parkland, Birth of a Movement. Maybe the answer is gun safety. Dave, I got to take a break. You're you're on a syndicated radio show across our country. You're welcome to stay with me on the other side. What is the answer to this issue? Strong views. Powerful opinions. The Evan Solomon Show continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Is there an answer? Is there any answer to the slaughter of 19 kids and two teachers? We've been asking this question for years, asking it after Columbine 99, asking it after Sandy Hook, asking it after Marjorie Stoneman Douglas in Parkland. What's the answer? Dave Cullen has been covering mass murders for decades with Columbine and Parkland birth of a movement. He's written for Vanity Fair profiles of Gabby Giffords. Of course, she was the Democratic who uh, was survived a fa- um, what an assassination attempt when she was shot in the head. And he's written for basically for everybody. And, he, and he's on the line. I'd like to also hear uh, your thoughts at one 855 What should be done? We have now just found out from reports that the gunman, the 18-year-old, legally purchased two AR platform rifles at a federal firearms licensee on May 19th and 20th, according to the state senator, John Whitmer. And he purchased 375 rounds of ammunition. Uh, Dave Cullen joins me. Dave, you've been covering this for decades. What is the answer? What What can be done? Well, there's a whole lot, you know, it's not one single solution, but there are a whole lot of different things that we get done is do. You know, I jotted down some of them. Um, biometric not locks is a big one. Um, most people, you know, this guy's the exception. Most people who com- commit these acts actually grab a gun from their father, uncle, from, usually from a family member, a close friend. It's almost always a family member. Um, it's, it's usually somebody else's gun. Um, 
a waiting time of three uh, of at least three days. Uh, red flag laws, which are um, I don't know if that would have worked in this place. This is basically when a family member um, raises a red flag. That's why they're called called that. Uh, that there's a, a mental health issue. The person is not allowed access to guns. Um, obviously, like more thorough background checks. Um, also, enforcing law, you know, enforcing rules we have already on, on locking up guns. Um, because, again, most people use somebody else, a family member's gun. Um, and then it's really taking the laws we have and having a hard look at, like, yes, okay to allowing everything sort of, like, hunting-related and squelching everything else. So these 100-round clips where you can, you know, get up, shoot up 100 rounds uh, in just moments, um, even assault weapons or anything else is not used for a sportsman to hunt a deer or whatever, that the rest of that stuff all needs to Well, go. what about the AR-15? We, we have this issue here. Many people say, don't, there's no such, we have an assault weapon ban, but people say, what's an assault weapon? I love my AR-15. Yes. The, yes. It's, and then it's people will say to me, it's, it's criminals. Criminals will get the gun anyway. It, it has nothing to do with lawful gun owners. You're just penalizing lawful gun owners by saying you can't have an AR-15. Look at most countries in the world where they're illegal. They're very difficult to get in almost any other country. Um, you know, I, I was in the Army. I was in the infantry. We used an M16, which is, a, you know, a variation on the AR-15. Um, they, they, we, we were trained to use them for one specific purpose, to kill people. That's what they were designed for, to kill specifically Russians at the time, but to kill other soldiers. That is their reason for existence. And to not to say they're not assault weapons, you're just, you know, those people are just being disingenuous. Of course they are. Uh, they, they want to be able to have assault weapons, play with them. Fine, if they want to make that argument. But pretending they're not is just kind of silliness. But, but let me just ask you, and I'm going to go to the phones, Dave. Is there any hope something will change? We go through this every time. Is there any hope? Yeah. Slowly. I don't have a huge hope on the short run. But by the way, on state legislatures where most of the stuff has passed so far, um, the gun safety side is now winning. They're winning about 89% of the battle, which was unheard of until 2018, the year of Parkland, when the, the NRA had rolled up 50 straight years of wins. So there is changes coming. It hasn't hit Congress yet, where there's still a, well, there's change in one House of Congress. In the Senate, which is still 50-50, supposedly Democrats, but with Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, two of our Democrats, sort of turncoats, um, it, you know, it's not. Um, so it, we haven't been able to get this through Congress, but in the state legislatures, it is happening. So somewhere on the horizon, not anytime soon, unfortunately. But somewhere down the road, yes. Tomorrow, no. Dave, call. God, Dave. I, I, I'm looking forward to reading your next your next book, Dave Cullen, author of Columbine, author of Parkland, Birth of a Movement. You spend your life on this I'll stuff. I'll have two pieces in the next couple of days that I can't say where, but if you follow, um, I'll have a couple of pieces on this um, in major magazine publications that'll be online on Thursday. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Maybe Vanity Fair. Folks, check, check those kind of ma magazines uh, and just follow Dave. Dave Cullen, thank you, sir. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate yeah, I appreciate it. it. Yeah, I really appreciate it. He lives in this space, and that's a hard space to live. What can be done about it? Kevin. I have two points that I talk quick. Uh, firstly, like when the Second Amendment 
was written, the population was under 4 million, and they had muskets that, you, that would shoot about one a minute. But sadly, no, there is no, no, no answer forthcoming, because as long as people continue to vote people like Abbott in, they're obviously willing to accept the sacrifice of this slaughter as acceptable to have their AR-15s. Right? These, these people are elected that refuse to, to do anything about changing these laws. Right. So you, know, you think you're, you're, you, so, but, but you heard Dave give a whole bunch of suggestions, right? Yes. Yeah, I have, my suggestion, obviously, you know, the, the Second Amendment has to go re- replace it. My idea is to have a program where hunters can keep their guns at a locked area and then pay money based on their income for supervised chaperones to go out with them, go on a hunt, put them back in the locker, and then the high, the higher, the wealthier people can afford, will pay more that the poorer people can go hunting too. That's my only suggestion to get rid of it all. Yeah. But it'll, you know, I'm living in utopia to think that. I appreciate the call. <clears throat> yeah, I don't think anyone's going to monitor people, and and they're not getting rid of the Second Amendment. Um, and, and people have the right to bear arms in the United States. And, and <clears throat> the question is, how, how, how do you do it safely? Um, Terry, go ahead. Evan, I'm telling you, if that's not a red flag to start with, 375 rounds, this is a complete failure on the guy that sold the ammunition and the gun. He should have called the cops right away. What do you need 375 rounds of ammunition for? Tell me that much. Yeah, may, maybe there maybe there's a limit on ammunition. You're right. I appreciate I appreciate the call. I got a minute here. I got a lot of calls. I feel choked up about it. Uh, Jeff, you got 30 seconds. Yeah, Evan, this, the solution is simple. Vote every Republican out of office from top to bottom. Mitch McConnell right down to dark catcher. If you change the political um, arena in America, you can change the gun laws. The only obstruction is for the Republicans. Vote them out of office. It's as simple as that. I don't know why Democrats keep going around and around in circles. Just say to the American well, people, these Republicans have been obstructing us for years. Vote them out of office. Well, I appreciate the call. Look, look not everyone's a Democrat. That's the, you know, that's not a problem. This is a country. It's democracies. People have lots of issues. I just, you know, 19. Look, this isn't to advocate a political position. There's Democrats and Republicans. But there's also 19 dead children. When does that reality kick in? I got to take a break. We got the war room coming up. Stay with us. Listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is the Evan Solomon Show. We are inside the war room with Zane Velji, Tom Alcair, and Tim Powers. Let me be perfectly clear. Putting out misinformation. And we hear that. Misleading politics. What's really important here? Spreading it online. Unequivocally. The War Room. Uh, tonight, there's a French language debate for the conservatives. The last debate. Because, of course, on May 25th, you should have the last debate and then wait to elect your leader on September 10th. Why not just take a four-month break so that this, like, it's ridiculous. I don't understand who planned this thing. Then you've got Bill 96, the controversial language bill. We'll talk about that. And all that seemed very pressing and all that seemed very urgent until 19 kids 
were gunned down in Uvalde, Texas, and two teachers. And here we go again. We've been talking about it all day. The governor of Texas, with his uh, words as empty as the shell casings, uh, pretending that he's going to do something a year after he has the constitutional carry uh, laws, which allow people to buy guns with no permit, no training, carry them openly, carry them concealed, joining many other states. And his words, the Second Amendment is under assault. No governor, children are under assault. Children are the victims, not the Second Amendment. I just want to, to weigh in on this and, and how maybe this plays out in the conservative debate tonight, Zane, uh, Tom, and Tim. I'll, I'll start with you, Tim, because Patrick Brown had already just tweeted about this stuff, um, about gun control stuff. How does this play out in the wake of this horrific tragedy? And by the way, I know you got a young son, Patrick, and and I think as, I'm, as a fellow father, yeah. you must have just been, it's gut-wrenching. Uh, well, and we were listening to your newscast this morning, and Patrick said, Dada, explain that to me. So that was pretty tough to do and try and explain and make any sense of it and uh, led to more questions. It was, and then dropping him off at school was was equally tough because he's only in, in grade one, and all of those children that were killed yesterday and assaulted yesterday were in between grades two and four. Um, how does this play out in the conservative leadership race? I hope responsibly. Um, I hope maturely. Certainly in Quebec, there is some sad history of gun violence at, uh, at educational institutions, and that's led to reform. Um, I, I, I hope uh, people like, uh, I hope all six of them actually uh, reference what happened uh, in Texas and don't try and split hairs on all of this. Um, you know, certainly in Canada and for the Conservatives, there is a uh, a lobby of responsible gun owners, as they will style themselves, who'll be watching this clearly, who do vote in leadership elections, who have uh, paid attention before to issues around the long gun registry. Um, and we'll be interested to hear uh, how I suspect people like Mr. Sheree and Mr. Brown will play to this issue and respond to this issue and where Mr. Polyev stands. I just hope it's responsible, Evan. That's all I hope. That's what we need today. Yeah, but there's responsible, and then there's actually doing stuff, Tom. Well, interestingly enough, this is what <laughs> tied poor Aaron O'Toole into knots yeah. with his party. They were so angry with him last time around saying this came out of nowhere, what's this gun control stuff? And then Trudeau tied him into knots during the debate because he was trying to finesse it and he got caught. And it's a complicated, vexing issue in Canada. And it's becoming a real live wire issue in the big cities. Mm -hmm. uh, Montreal is just the most recent one. In the past six months, I have to say, Montreal has really had serious problems with, with gun violence. And so the average person is looking at this and paying more attention. I don't think that Poitiers is going to be able to dance away from this one. He's been expert at saying one thing and its opposite during this campaign. He's in favor of Bill 21, but he's against 20, Bill 21 that discriminates against religious minorities. I'm anxious to hear him tonight on Bill 96. I think that Charest is going to try to stake out some better turf on that. This should be a home game for Jean Charest. It's my old haunts, my old uh, provincial riding where I, I served three terms. I think that Charest is going to be in front of, front of a friendly audience the same way Poiliev had the advantage for the first debate that was in front of that right-wing think tank. So we're going to see. Uh, the, the expectations are very high for Charest right now because everybody's sensing that he's way behind. Charest and the team, by the way, just one last thing. I talked to the people around Charest. I know a lot of them. I served with and worked with a lot of them. 
and they're not nervous. They say, look, it's about winning points in 338 ridings. And it's not all about Poitiers packing a hall with 7,000 people in Calgary. So we'll see. I think they're being a little, I think there's a little bit of spin involved in that. Because from everything I can see, Poitiers has got a lot of people excited on the conservative side. I'm with you on that, Tom. Patrick Brown Zane tweeted out, I will scrap the Firearms Act in its entirety and work with experts, including law-abiding firearm owners, to replace it with a new law that is protecting our streets just as seriously as does defending the rights of Canadians. Uh, Later that day, Uvalde happened. Um, does Does the gun issue, as Tom rightly pointed out, tripped up Aaron O'Toole, does this change things? It certainly can. And let's recall that that Aaron O'Toole moment was in the middle of an election, 10 day stretch where O'Toole was cruising. You remember how much he was cruising? He came out of the gates. They launched their platform. They said, who is this O'Toole guy? And then he was caught mealy mouthed in the general election. The reason I underline general election is that now we're in a leadership race. And the dynamics here change because to Tim's earlier point and to the point that Tom was making, there's going to be people, responsible gun owners, I'll use that term again, who are going to watch this with a microscope to see exactly the nuance, the symbolism, the language that is being said, because they make up a constituency within this leadership race. And for them, this matters, not just in terms of reacting to a moment, not just in terms of where this party might be positioning itself in response to what happened in the States, but what are you going to do with my guns? That active question around what are you going to do with my guns matters even more in a leadership race than not. And to Tom's point, you know, there might be growing signs of Pierre Polyevra you know, hitting that populist button too often and too aggressively yeah. kind of reminds me of that yeah. Staples, that's easy button. Remember that commercial? I think I think Pierre's been hitting that so much that it is now starting to, to showcase even to conservative fanboys that, OK, man, like chill a bit. Right. Like calm down, like the WEF comments, the comments recently around who we'd include in cabinet. Uh, that strain certainly has, uh, you know, a, a audience. But there might be something to be said, depending on Charest's performance tonight and how it triangulates with this gun control issue, that Pierre could actually not dance on this as he perhaps did on the Roe v. Wade question uh, earlier in the, in, the early, in the earlier debates and the earlier conversations as well. It is interesting. Uh, by the way, I, I, I was looking over some old coverage that I did of, of Pierre Polyevre in the Elections Act when he was the Minister of Democratic Reform. And yep. and look, he then attacked and Tom, you remember because you were the leader oh, of the yeah. NDP. He attacked <laughs> Mr. Mehan, the head of Elections Canada. Yep. Uh, and it was mm-hmm. there was hearings. You had the former um, auditor general, Sheila Fraser, saying he's attacking the independent officers of parliament. What you know, he's done this his whole career. Like, why are people so surprised? Well, you shouldn't be surprised, but I'm glad you went back to that Electoral Act stuff, because what he was proposing was going to make life a heck of a lot harder when it came to voting for the average person because he was going to make it tougher. There are lots of people left. You have to have been in politics for a while to know the type of person who walks into your writing office. You know, you say, oh, well, go on this government website and use your credit card. This just in. The people who are the poorest and on the lowest rung, they don't have a credit card. And this is the type of thing that bureaucrats don't think about, but that politicians learn about if they're actually working with their writing. Poilier was talking about voter suppression. It's classic Mm -hmm. American politics. This is what that whole thing was about. But it was voter suppression of the very people he claims to be wanting to make the freest people in the world. 
They were going to yeah. be free, but they were going to free, mm. be free to not vote because the people at the lower rung of the ladder yeah. were not going to be able to have all of the papers that he was asking for. That's the Pierre Poiliev that I remember so well. It was so badly done and so hopelessly partisan that even Stephen Harper had to back away from that stinking pile. Yeah, Tim, you remember that? By the way, speaking of gatekeepers, remember Mehon said, I'm not allowed to talk about elections, and I'm the head of Elections Canada. Oh, well, and there's, uh, I don't want to scoop my colleague, and I know you have a polling relationship with the very good Nick Nanos, but tonight we do have some abacus data coming out that is suggesting uh, that uh, Pierre's stretch of rhetoric and particular style is not resonating super well uh, with the broader electorate and uh, shrinking the conservative voting pool, among other things. So he's going to have to look at that, but it's hard for a leopard to change his spots. Pierre's success (laughs) has been made in his mind. Okay, hang on. This way. By the way, I didn't, I've never heard that expression, and I'm glad you've coined that. Uh, Tim (laughs) Thompson, let's take a break. I want to talk about Bill 96 in Quebec and what happens tonight. Is it an attack on Anglos? Where accountability is key. This is Evan Solomon on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. We're back inside the war room with Zane Velji, Tom Mulcair, Tim Powers, and the shadow of what happened in Uvalde, Texas. There's a conservative debate tonight. Guns will be featured um, as a topic. By the way, also in the Ontario election where Doug Ford looks like he's going to run away with this thing. But, you know, at the beginning of the campaign, Stephen Del Duca, the liberal leader, said, you know, he would ban all handguns and uh, it made a, a stir for a day or two. I wonder if that comes back on. In the meantime, in Quebec yesterday, something called Bill 96 passed. And I want to all the leaders will have to face that. This is a language uh, law that essentially takes Bill 101 and injects steroids into it and lets it fly. Uh, t- uh, Tom Mulcair, I'll let you sort of take a, a whack at the questions about this and, and, and maybe the political challenge for the conservative leaders and, frankly, for Justin Trudeau. Interesting, because Trudeau was out on this yesterday for the first time. And anybody listening who wants to know about the details, because it is one of those things that's a bit complicated, should just go to the website of CTV. Watch the interview that a certain Evan Solomon did with the spokesperson, the member of the National Assembly for the CAC, a guy named Christopher Skeet, because it's all there. You have all of the dissembling by the CAC trying to say that Bill 96 doesn't actually do what it does. And Evan, you were boring down on this incredibly tough issue. I think you did an amazing job. So let, let me try to give people a three top line things. One, it'll make it more difficult for English speaking people to access health and social services. Two, it gives an outrageous power of search and seizure for computers, cell phones, and the like to the language police who can go in without warrant and on an anonymous complaint and seize that in businesses. And you don't even have the right to plead the charter, which gives you a right against unreasonable search and seizure because they've used the notwithstanding clause, not for one or two articles, as they would have you believe when they talk about it, but every single article of Bill 96 is being put above the Charter of Rights. So that's removing rights for everybody. There's also a a real problem with the Constitution, and this is the one where I'm expecting the most lively debate tonight. Mr. Legault is telling anybody who wants to hear that he is allowed to change nothing less than the British North America Act, and he will be making 
changes that will remove the equality of English and French before the courts. That's something that's guaranteed in New Brunswick, Quebec, and Manitoba under the Manitoba Act. And guess what? He can't make that change unilaterally, but Trudeau's been terrified to touch this. Every leader in Ottawa has been terrified to touch it. And we're going to see which, if any one of those candidates comes out against it. Patrick Brown might surprise again because he openly came out against Bill 21, that discriminatory law against religious minorities. Is he going to try to stake out some turf with regard to the English-speaking minority in Quebec? That would be interesting, and he could well do it. Yeah, uh, I'm um, sorry. Timmy, you want to weigh in and then Zane? Well, I just want to comment, Tom, on his streak of pandering. It's really good. That was well done on you boring down in the interview, and it made me think of well, George. But can I just say, Tom helped me out uh, understanding this thing. And normally Tom just says I'm boring, but today he added boring down. So I thought that was a nice, that was really good. I thought that was good. I thought that was a nice touch. I still think you're boring, Evan. Yeah, I know. I what he said. Evan was really boring down on the... Down, yeah. The pause for a second was perfect. It was good. It was a nice pause. I want to pick up on Tom's point, though, not the pandering, the other point on Patrick Brown. I think Patrick Brown will build on this tonight. I think Patrick Brown believes his path to victory is a vacuuming up as much of Ontario and the support he can get there and potentially Atlantic Canada, but he's not doing as well there as Sheree and Polyev are. So I think he will maybe swing for the fences last night. It's consistent with his previous position on standing up to Bill 21. Sheree is the interesting one here. As, as Tom said, what kind of territory is he going to carve out here? Because he has said in the previous debate on Bill 21, trying to pay a, a streak of difference between him and Polyev, that uh, he, he would at some point seek to intervene and the federal government would intervene. How does he speak exactly. out here? How does he speak out here? Because he needs support in Quebec to win this. And as we know from past uh, formations of the Conservative Party, there's always a dance on this particular issue. The last thing I'd say in all of this, Evan, is it would be refreshing if some federal leader stood up to Francois Legault because none have done it in the past. They're all terrified. They're all years. terrified of him. And yeah, Legault's game plan is clearly the one that he laid down in 2018. Yep. Language, culture, and immigration are just stepping stones to sovereignty. He was clear about that. He said, well, we never got it in one night. I'm not I'm not preaching for sovereignty anymore. But, uh, you know, this could happen. Uh, I, by know, the way, with regard to Patrick Brown, there's almost a million English-speaking Quebecers. And yep. nobody's been talking to them. And I can tell you right now that if Brown is smart enough, there are at least 30 ridings in Quebec where this guy could hoover up a bunch of the points under their leadership race if he does that tonight. So it's going to be fun to watch. You know, every six months, Tom and I talk about why Jagmeet Singh hasn't spoken out on Bill 21. It's like, yep. it's a like, Tom and I text about this, like every three months, every six months, being, should now be the time, should now be the time. Well, guess what? Now should be the time. This isn't Bill yep. 21. This is Bill 96, but this is the same ball of wax. This is the same interconnected agenda that Legault has. And if I'm Jagmeet Singh on the federal stage, I got nothing to lose. There's my, you know, two cents. I'll be back to you in three or six months, guys, on that one. Uh, as it relates to, as it relates to tonight, I have to agree. I think Patrick Brown, he can, he can take a big swing because frankly, the audience for him is not in that room. Frankly, the audience may not even be in that province for Patrick Brown. Yes, it's French language, but I suspect his team knows exactly what he needs to do on 96. He might even get a quick translation of that clip, that soundbite, put it up online, distribute it to the many of the multicultural South Asian communities that yep. he's been supporting. Uh, I suspect yep. he's going to take that big swing, and he might be able to play good cop, bad cop with uh, with Sheree if Sheree's balancing act is really you know trying to 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 not say much on the issue. 
that helps them from an electoral perspective, the pairing that is, that is Charest uh, and Brown. So there could be a loser for the first time in this French language debate when you add guns and this issue. Pierre Polyev might be on notice heading into tonight. Yeah, yep. um, there's very interesting. By the way, um, I, I think um, one thing Tom discovered in federal politics when it comes to approaching Legault on this, I think the chiropractors are out of business because you can't find a spine anywhere in the federal <laughs> government on this. So uh, the chiropractors can't find it. You can't find one in Ottawa right now. Uh, let, let's uh, let's just, Tim, I'm going to just jump back to Tim uh, yep. and then Doug Ford. He looks like he's cruising. Uh, that we're, we're coming into the last week. Um is there any way that uh, either Andrea Horvath or Stephen Del Duca um, can can stop the the Doug Ford juggernaut? He he keeps saying, "Let's just get it done," and and it doesn't seem like anyone wants to change in Ontario. Eight days away, it'd have to be something cataclysmic, and for it to set in uh, too, it takes time. It has to set yeah. in over this weekend. So, I, I can't see it, Evan. I cannot see it. Uh, and it, it, it's it's you don't compare Ford to uh, Jason Kenney, who we talked about last week. What a transformation! Ford wasn't supposed to make it through his premiership. He's going to do something Jason Kenney won't have the opportunity to do to win back to back. Majorities. That, that's fascinating. There's a yeah. lesson in there for the conservatives that are on that debate stage tonight. Sometimes pragmatation, pragmatism and a recognition of the fault of the mistakes that you've made before can help you if you learn from those lessons. Yeah. Uh, is it's Forlock. And yeah. I also think, Evan, it's, it's quite clear that the real fight is going to be for official opposition. I think that Del Duca has been giving a pretty good accounting of himself thus far. And they've been doing that since day one. They've been fighting their progressive primary since the election started. And and Ford has said, oh, okay, I only need 38% of the electorate. Let me just go do that and then shut this thing down uh, from the media, from anyone else beyond that 38% that I need. So you're absolutely right that the fight seems to be for official opposition. And it's still going, despite the fact we've got less than 10 days here. Yeah, but oh. Del Duca also has been smart about this thing. I, the way the NDP's gone about it, it was all, you know, they were running ads saying, well, all we need is 10 more seats, but nobody yeah. cares about that. They want to know what you would do if you form the government. For them, for them, exactly, yeah. Tom. Yeah. All right, I got to leave it there with Zane, Tom, Tim. I should say, um, I, I still with without power, both metaphorically and literally. And um, but I did bump into Tim Powers' lovely nephew named I heard. Sam, who's a hockey player and one of the great guys. And I got to tell you, this is the this is the the uh, I guess your sister's son. And yeah. you know, you're a nice enough guy, but your sister must be wonderful because. <laughs> My God, he spoke highly of you, too. So he's already getting into the BS of politics. Uh, Zane Valji, uh, Tom Mulcair, Tim, Tom, thank you for all your insight into Bill 96. And gentlemen, um, hug your loved ones, guys. Hug your loved ones. Bye. Thanks, Chance. See you later. Uh, We got lots coming up on the program. Uh, We're going to talk about the big storm and the cleanup next. Authentic voices, real conversations. This is the Evan Solomon Show on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Uh, breaking news right now. The governor of Texas is speaking in Uvalde. Uh, we've spoken about him today. Let's listen in right now. Has to have evil in his heart. But it is far more evil for someone to gun down little kids 
It is intolerable and it is unacceptable for us to have in the state anybody who would kill little kids in our schools. Children are a blessing. God teaches us that. They're filled with laughter, innocence, and joy. Their love is a gift that parents get to unwrap every single day. Parents in Uvalde had that gift taken away from them, stolen by a demented person. Days before, days before yesterday, when these children were at school, some were receiving awards for perfect attendance. These kids will never attend school again. To say the least, Uvalde has been shaken to its core. Families are broken apart. Hearts are forever shattered. All Texans are grieving with the people of Uvalde. And people are rightfully angry about what has happened. Events like this, they tear at the fabric of a community. Our job is to ensure that the community is not going to be ripped apart. All Texans must come together and support the families who have been affected by this horrific tragedy. What they need now more than ever is our love. What they need is uplifting from all of our fellow Texans and all of our fellow Americans. And let me emphasize something that I know you all know. But the reality is as horrible as what happened. It could have been worse. The reason it was not worse is because Law enforcement officials did what they do. They showed amazing courage by running toward gunfire for the singular purpose of trying to save lives. And it is a fact that because of their quick response, getting on the scene, being able to respond to the gunman and eliminate the gunman, they were able to save lives. Unfortunately, not enough. But I want to make sure that everybody knows all of the law enforcement agencies and groups that are involved and were involved in this process. The Texas Rangers are leading the investigation, and they are supported by the Texas Department of Public Safety Highway Patrol, the Texas Department of Public Safety Criminal Investigative Division, DPS Aircraft, 
DPS Intelligence Counter and Terrorism Division, DPS Crime and Victim Support. They're also supported by the Texas Division of Emergency Management. The FBI, as well as multiple federal partners, including the DEA, ATF, HSI, and Border Patrol. And then, of course, the, the valiant local officials. The Uvalde Sheriff's Department, Uvalde Police Department, Uvalde Independent School District Police, Uvalde County Constables, Uvalde Mayor, the County Judge, Uvalde District Attorney's Office, local public works and surrounding police uh, department, and the San Antonio Police and Fire Department also. Let me walk you through some of the facts of what has happened. There's been a lot of things that have been said. Some are correct, some are incorrect. Let me tell you the best information that we have at this time, understanding very importantly that this is an ongoing investigation and on, ongoing investigations often reveal new information as those investigations progress. The first thing that happened was that the gunman shot his grandmother in the face. She then contacted police. The gunman fled and uh, as he was fleeing, he had an accident just outside of the elementary school and he ran into the school. Officers with the Consolidated Independent School District, they approached the gunman and engaged with the gunman uh, at that time. The gunman then entered a back door and went down two short hallways and then into a classroom on the left-hand side. The gun room uh, entered into that classroom and the classroom was connected internally to another classroom. Border Patrol, Consolidated ISD officers, police, sheriffs, and DPS officers converged on that classroom. And a Border Patrol officer killed the gunman. As I said, Texas Rangers are leading the investigation joined by federal, state, and local law enforcement officials. At this time, we know that 19 children Nineteen children have lost their lives. Two faculty members lost their lives. In addition to that, there are 17 people who are injured, but their injuries are not life-threatening. All family members of all of these students and faculty members have been contacted and informed about the circumstances. The officials are working with parents to ensure that their parents are going to be able to see their children. Parents should contact victim services at the county fairplex. We know that there are parents still striving to make a connection. All parents are welcome and urge to contact victim services at the county fairplex. The gunman was 18 years old and reportedly a high school dropout. Reportedly, there has been no criminal history identified 
yet. He may have had a juvenile record, but that is yet to be determined. There was no known mental health history of the gunman. He used one weapon, which was an AR-15, uh, using 223 rounds. There was no meaningful forewarning of this crime, other than what I'm about to tell you. As of this time, the only information that was known in advance was posted by the government on Facebook approximately 30 minutes before reaching the school. The first post was to the point of, he said, I'm going to shoot my grandmother. The second post was, I shot my grandmother. The third post, maybe less than 15 minutes before arriving at the school, was, I'm going to shoot an elementary school. I mentioned that during the shootout that took place at the school, in addition to the students and the faculty, there were three officers who were injured who were all remaining in good condition. One deputy sheriff lost a daughter in that school. Before coming out here, we had a long discussion with law enforcement at all levels. We had a discussion with community leaders, elected officials. And I asked the sheriff and others an open-ended question and got the same answer from the sheriff as well as from the mayor of Uvalde. The question was, what is the problem here? And they were straightforward and emphatic. They said, we have a mental, we, we have a problem with mental health illness in this community. And then they elaborated on the magnitude of the mental health challenges that they are facing in the community and the need for more mental health support in this region. I want to make sure everybody understands uh, the mental health services that are available at this time. With me making one clarifying point in advance that I'm going to redouble down in the aftermath. Whenever anything as shocking and extraordinary and disturbing as this event is, occurs. There is an urgent need for everybody affected to access mental health. I cannot be more emphatic than saying with great urgency, everybody in this community, I mean everybody, The victims, the families, family members, friends, the, the, the law enforcement involved, but the entire community is in utter shock about this. Some physical wounds that were sustained by the officers, they're going to heal in the coming days. The mental and emotional wounds 
are far harder to see and last far longer. The state of Texas, working with federal and local officials and agencies, we're going to be here for a long, long time. And one key point that we will focus on is making sure that everybody in this community has the access they need for as long as they need it to address with the mental and emotional health care needs that they have. I want to list various agencies and, and make sure these are made available to the public. The mental health services currently available are from victim services from across the area from federal, state, and local levels, including the Family Resource Center at the Uvalde County Fairplex. Schools have crisis teams at the Uvalde Civic Center. They provide uh, wraparound uh, services for families who are affected. The Texas Child Mental Health Consortium created by the state legislature in 2019 is available to assist. The Blue Bonnet Children's Advocacy Center available is available to provide services for children. The Texas Health and Human Services Commission uh, is on site uh, and will be available for ongoing provision of services. The Texas Education Agency is providing supplemental counseling services. The Texas Department of Public Safety Counseling is providing counseling services for law enforcement. And the FBI is also bringing in mental health services for law enforcement. It cannot be overemphasized the importance of law enforcement officers, all of them, seeking out and obtaining this mental health counseling. The District Attorney's Office uh, for Victim Services uh, has a phone number available for all victims, and candidly, the entire community, in a way, is a victim here. And I was provided their number to give out to you publicly. This is the number for the District Attorney's Office for Victim Services. The number is 830-278-2916. And at this time, I will uh, pass the mic to Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Sit down. You're out of you're out of line and an embarrassment. Sit down. No. You need to get his ass out of here. This isn't the place to talk this over. This is totally predictable. Sir, you're out of line. Sir, you're out of line. Sir, you're out of line. Please leave this auditorium. I can't believe you're a sick son of a bitch that would come to a deal like this to make a political issue. It's on assholes like you. Why don't you get out of here?
What you are listening to here, and I'll let you listen more, this is um, a moment where the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, speaking about the horrific tragedy, was confronted in this live. You're just seeing it right now. That's Beto. Beto O'Rourke, who, remember, Beto O'Rourke had run and, and lost when he tried to beat Ted Cruz as a senator, and he is planning to run against the governor, uh, Abbott, in the upcoming governor's election. He's lost twice, um, obviously in different roles. Uh, so this is the third time in five years, Beto O'Rourke. And he now, remember, um, he lost, in, I guess, in um, 2018, and then he tried in 2020 to become the Democratic um, nominee and he, and he lost then, but he has, uh, he's been a long time, uh, uh, gun safety advocate and he just interrupted that comp press conference, which is still going on, which is a pretty remarkable moment. Uh, let me just say, as I've said it, that's governor Abbott saying there's nothing they could do. This is the same governor who last year, the same governor last year, who, as I've told you, passed a law, House Bill 1927, that eliminates the requirement for Texas residents to obtain a license to carry handguns. You don't need training. You don't need a license. You don't need a permit. You can carry them concealed or open in Texas. He has loosened gun laws. And now he's talking about by the way, 10, 20 other states have these constitutional carries. That's what it's called. And and you heard people say, don't politicize this to Beto O'Rourke. By the way, I don't know if Beto O'Rourke, I don't think that's the right thing to interrupt like this. It's not the moment. But I can tell you this. Someone's got to say it. Someone's got to say these are crocodile tears. You cannot say, as, as the governor of Texas did last year, that the Second Amendment is under assault when it is not under assault. Second Amendment, is, in fact, it's gone the other way in Texas. He's passed seven different laws that loosens gun laws that allows you to carry guns with no permit, with no license. The AR-15 the killer used allegedly was bought legally. And now here's Governor Abbott saying we'll do everything we can. To do what? To do what? Governor Abbott had said last year, the Second Amendment is under assault. Now they say this. Now you heard, and you've heard Ted Cruz say it, the Republican uh, senator. He said, people are going to try to politicize this tragedy. What the hell does that mean? A gunman has come into an elementary school and slaughtered 19 10-year-olds and two teachers. This is the very definition of political. Gun violence in schools has been going on. If this isn't political, what is political? What does this mean? You, you can't come and politicize it. We all have to come together. The same people that literally sitting on that stage right now were saying the Second Amendment is under assault. They politicized it. Abbott has politicized this. It is Abbott's political agenda. And now in the face of a tragedy, the defense is please don't politicize it. Now, look, you can agree with Abbott or not. But own it. Don't slide away. Don't slide away on your belly 
with this slithering excuse that politicizing a tragedy is the wrong thing to do when there's a massacre using guns, when you have spent your career and the last year politicizing this by saying the Second Amendment's under assault, we're not going to let that happen. That's where you get your support. You're taking money from the NRA, and then there's a gun massacre, and suddenly, oh, this is not a political issue? It's the Democrats or others that are politicizing it? What, the parents of the dead children who are politicizing it? This is a not- Look, there are lots of, lots of ways to approach this. But slithering away with a snakeskin excuse that politicizing this is the wrong thing to do. Let's have an honest discussion. There's a gun violence problem in the United States. There's gun violence problems. Now, what's causing the problems and what the solution is? There's going to be a robust debate. But don't dismiss that debate to say, we can't politicize this. We've all got to come together. That is not true. There's no necessity after 19, 10-year-olds are gunned down to come together behind someone who has spent the last year ripping down gun safety laws and allowing people to buy with no permit, no license. Those are political decisions. you got to live by those things. you got to own those things. When there's a tragedy, you can't pretend that there's a disconnect. And people will say, well, wait, Evan. There's gun safety laws in New Zealand, and they had a horrible—you're right. Gun tragedies happen here. They happen all over the world. But nowhere do they happen more than in the United States. Exponentially more. It's like saying, Evan, why do you require people to wear a seatbelt? I knew someone who died in a car accident wearing a seatbelt. Of course, you can still die wearing a seatbelt. But statistically, it's significantly less frequent. That's the truth. And that is the same with gun safety laws. There is no, this is math, this is not politics. So these are politicized things. We can't pretend that don't politicize this. Now, whether Beto O'Rourke was right to just jump in there in this moment of grief, tragedy, and shock, but he just couldn't take the hypocrisy. Folks, there's a, we had a lot of, on this show booked today. We had some, some beautiful guests, um, some musicians. We had um, a Juno Award-winning musician that you should know about. We, we wanted to talk about a lot of different things today. That was a Charlotte Cardin. I want to apologize for her. She's, a, she's a, an incredible singer from Montreal. She was, Charlotte was booked on the show today. Charlotte, we're, we apologize. We, we obviously are going to keep the breaking news about the 19 children and two teachers. Um, there is a live press conference going on right now. Uh, we've learned more about the shooter from the from the from the governor. Um, we learned more that he shot his grandmother in the face. He ran into the school and left three Facebook posts, and that one of the deputies lost his daughter. Hug your loved ones, folks. Hug them tight. I'll see you on Power Play. <laughs> 